0: Hey guys, welcome to the Delta Flyers. We are a weekly podcast that discusses episodes of Star Trek Voyager in chronological order. Your two hosts along this podcast journey are myself, Garrett Wong, AKA Ensign Harry Kim, and Robert Duncan McNeil, who portrayed Lieutenant Tom Paris. If you are interested in either an extended version of this podcast or the extended video version of this podcast, both of which include added wonderful bonus segments. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the Delta Flyers and sign up to become a patron today. How was that speech?
1: That was nice. It was wonderful. <laughs> I you gave it a wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> you get, you added a wonderful. You always add in a little little something.
0: I try. Yeah. I try. Yeah. 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 So we've had a little break. Did you have a good uh, uh, holiday vacation?
1: I did. Yeah. We uh, we took the RV on a long trip and. Uh, and had a great time, so I'm all good. It's very summery. I was up at the lake today, outside Atlanta where I live. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, an actor, was in town visiting some his in-laws and uh, they have a lake house, so we went up to the lake. It's it's just feeling very summery right now.
0: Nice. Yeah. And here's a, here's a question for you. Yeah. I know that you, you've just recently purchased an RV.
1: Yes.
0: And you, took an RV trip many, many moons ago when you were working on Star Trek still and you rented an RV. Was that and during Star me, Trek? I thought it was during, maybe I'm wrong. My timeline might be wrong. It, it could might be, be right later, after, but anyway, yeah. Right
1: long time ago, 20 years ago almost.
0: Yes, and in dealing with that family trip, uh, that long RV trip that you took, renting yes. that RV, one of the things that you absolutely did not enjoy was dealing with the septic. Tank <laughs> to the point yes. that you you told me yes. never never again is what you said to me. Really? So my question, yeah, you said I am wow. never going to take another RV trip because of that septic system. Dealing with with taking care of that was yeah,
1: it's a thing big. for sure. You know, there's so? definitely maintenance to do. You've got to you know flush out your black water tank, which is your septic. Yeah. Uh, you've got a gray water tank, which is your sink water and shower yeah. and things like that.
0: Time changes everybody. Like, you you know, like, you know, when you're a kid, you can say, I hate Brussels sprouts. But then as an adult, you may like Brussels Brussels sprouts. The
1: first time around was a big learning curve. It's like Brussels sprouts. The first time you try it, you may not like it, but then you get older, you learn what's really good for you and what you like. And you develop a (laughs) more sophisticated palate. So you you end up loving, I love Brussels sprouts now. (laughs) Right. So uh, Yeah, the RV with my, My first time around, I I had rented an RV a couple of times, and it had been a real mixed bag for sure. Yeah, yeah. but this time, I am thrilled. thrilled. You love it. I do. I think the first time that I I tasted beer, I was like, oh my (laughs) god, why would anybody drink this? And now, I love to do a little beer tasting, get a flight of beer. I tried the IPA, I tried the, you know, uh, so yeah, so sometimes we change, yeah.
0: Yeah, like when you were in grade school, the first time you kissed a girl, you're like, yucky. Ew, and now you've cooties. changed.
1: Goodies. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and now you're changed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, I really, I really think you should plan a RV trip to a music festival, like an electronic music festival. Yeah. Megan yeah. and I can join you guys and we can go and, sure. and be in style. Instead of yeah. tenting it, we'll have an RV. Oh, it's nice. It's nice. <laughs> Okay. All right. So this week's episode yes. is is the learning. No, it's not the learning. It's learning curve. The learning
1: curve, like
0: the Voyager. The Voyager.
1: <laughs> it's learning curve. I think it's just learning curve. But and whenever, whenever you say the and then fill in the blank, you have to turn into it and be really dramatic. It's the podcast. It's the Robbie. I don't know. <laughs>
0: It's the, that should be how I talk to you from now on. Yes, The Robbie, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> it's the Robbie. Oh, you
1: know what? I just, before we move on, I'm yeah. looking at you right now wearing your, uh, are you out of your Vulcan mind shirt, right? It's a yes. design you made years ago and I've yes, it is one of those shirts and I love it. And mm. somebody was saying, um, that Tom Paris says yes ma'am all the time. And I was like, oh, we should do a Tom Paris head and it should say yes ma'am in the shape of Tom Paris head. I don't know. It just reminded me that. Let me, me write
0: that. that down real quick. It I'm just reminded me down down, of that. It's, it down, so. it, yeah, right?
1: <laughs> it, would, it would be funny. I don't know what a Tom Paris head looks like.
0: I, I, I'm gonna try, well, let me just try to, let me work on it and let's see what we can yes, get. The yes ma'am. Yes, Yes ma'am the shape of your head, basically, mm-hmm. right? So it's not gonna be any details. Just like, are you out of your Vulcan mind? Then yes. we're gonna have a yes, ma'am. Okay, yeah.
1: All right. It'd be funny to have Janeway and, um, Janeway and Balana facing nose to nose, and one of them says, warp particles. Warp particles, particles. <laughs> uh- <laughs>
0: Hey, I'm I'm writing that down. Yeah. Hold on, hold on.
1: on. I like the idea of like something inside a silhouette of a head. You know, like something that they say.
0: And look, it's a real pencil. It's a real yeah. Yeah, I I like that. So yeah, so this is so this theme can continue. Yeah. Yeah. T-shirts. I'm
1: wearing the hat from Delta Flyers, and I'm wearing a nice uh, polo shirt. By I've never seen that one. I don't know who. I don't know where I got it. I don't know. Is it new or has it been in your wardrobe? Mm You know what I think it is? There's this I, I've done these things um, online where I because I, I, I really hate shopping in person. Yeah. And I've done this thing called Stitch Fix before where Oh, they send you an outfit, right? Yeah, you is like go online that, yeah. and you say, I like this kind of thing and this and this and that. And then I they send exactly it to you. Thing. And if you like the stuff, you keep it and if you don't, you send it back. I yeah. think I got this in Stitch Fix. I don't do it regularly, but I yeah, I've done it a couple, two, three times. And
0: yeah, and that's and that new at I've never seen that before. And, well, I, and that color, it's either plum or a chocolate or a, what color? I can't it's tell. It's kind of a
1: plum. Yeah, plum yeah, with, a... with very thin black stripes in it. Fashion, yeah.
0: <laughs> fashion, okay. These
1: are my fashion glasses. I have a lot of different glasses. Got some new glasses coming.
0: You're like a glasses and a hats guy. Is what
1: you I call. love my glasses, hats, and watches. Although I've been wearing a Fitbit the last couple of years, and I've got a beautiful watch collection that, I
0: never wear my watches anymore. You know what I collected when I was in um, college? I collected sunglasses. Hmm. Sunglasses. Like I would save up all my money to get these Revo sunglasses that were really, because in college, if you buy a $200 pair of sunglasses, that's a lot of money. So uh, that was was my thing. I had to have all these name brand sunglasses. Nice. Yeah. I remember that was what I collected back then. I am wearing, can you read that? Spanish Trail. Yes. Spanish Trail is a golf course in Las Vegas, Nevada, in the Summerlin side of town, the west side of town. Spanish Trail is the is the uh, original kind of like the Beverly Hills development of Las Vegas. It's a private gated community. A lot of um, celebs have homes inside of Spanish Trail and inside the Spanish Trail development, is an actual country club with a golf course so a friend of mine uh, nice. gave this to me that was a groundskeeper there i played many rounds there when he was a groundskeeper the minute he yeah. left i did have i had zero access after that but uh <laughs> it was wonderful to, it, to play my 100 free rounds that i got to play with uh, my buddy who was a groundskeeper. nice
1: so, uh, nice hat thank you so nice much history on the hat by the way i'm drinking my power aid and loving it
0: I'm glad that you And
1: (laughs) PowerAid doesn't sponsor this podcast. They have nothing to do with it. (laughs) But But I'm just telling you they should, PowerAid. Okay.
0: All right. So for those of you who are listening, Robbie and I are gonna go rewatch Learning Curve. The finale. The the finale finale. of season one.
1: This is huge. This is a huge moment. It was an accidental finale too, by the way. We didn't it wasn't planned to
0: be the finale. No, I mean, they didn't, they were, I think they were planning more like 24 episodes, season one or something like that. And they ended up with 16 episodes and and, uh, Learning Curve is the last one of season one. So for those of you who are listening to our podcast, we're gonna rewatch Learning Curve. Robbie and I will be right back with our discussion of Learning Curve. For all of our Patreon patrons, thank you for your patronage. We will be doing our segment, What Do We Remember? Uh, Right after this. (music) We are back from our rewatch.
1: Yes, we are. Here we are back from our rewatch. Of Learning Curve, not the Not Learning the Curve. Learning
0: Curve, just <laughs> Learning Curve. Yeah. Written by Ronald Wilk- Wilkerson uh, and Jean Louis Mathias and directed by Mr. David Livingston.
1: I would say that this episode is about um, dealing with the Maquis and Starfleet, sort of integrating together and there's a lot of um, grumblings by some Maquis, and Janeway decides with Tuvok and Chakotay that they're going to um, put the Maquis through a Starfleet Academy type training, and they're gonna make them Starfleeters because they had never done that, and Tuvok takes charge of that. And along the way, he runs into some challenges with his style and his technique and the Maquis style and technique, and in the end, Tuvok learns and the Maquis learn that uh, they can learn something from each other and they have things in common. And uh, that's kind of the A story. And the B story is the ship, the bioneural gel packs on the ship uh, get a very mysterious disease, a virus of some sort. Mm. And um, so we have to save the ship from losing its its, uh, ability to
0: operate. So that's sort of the ship's problem so
1: yeah
0: okay so um, in the past when i've asked you to do the synopsis some of them have been short others have been quite meandering yes. and rambling so yes. How was that? i started th- that was pretty good you've shortened it and yes. then i was actually in a twitter exchange with with some uh, with a fan i i actually I actually put down my message, my tweet, into yeah. haiku, haiku form. Haiku is ah, the Japanese poem. Yes, of course. Five syllables, seven syllables, and five syllables. Yes, I, I love a, a good haiku. Yeah, so then I thought, huh, maybe I can haiku each episode. And then I thought, ah. uh, that's, that's really restrictive when you only have five syllables. Yeah. So then I said I could rhyme, I could do a quick poem of the synopsis. Oh, of this. nice. And here it, it is. It. Are you ready? Here I'm ready. Is. Okay. Learning curve as a poem. Maki Rebel. Tuvok must quell. Neural gel packs infected. Brill cheese suspected. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. I like this. We should you keep like this. That? We yeah. should keep yeah. this little short. Yeah. I, yeah. But I li- but I like you giving your a little bit more detailed one, and then my I come me- in right my meandering. after. Meander. You oh. you meander, and I poem. I go right to the jugular. With that. Wow. Okay. Nice. Oh. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right, okay, let's keep so
0: what, it. What are, your, what are your thoughts about this?
1: Oh, boy. Well, here we are coming off of last week. I struggled with Jatrell last week.
0: You sure I, did.
1: I just, there was so little about it. I was, I was very frustrated and disappointed, yeah. and I felt bad for Ethan Phillips and mm-hmm. the challenges he had with that storyline and the writing and the directing and just, you name it. I, I felt like it was not a strong episode. And then, as we talked about earlier, we get into learning curve, the surprise season finale that was not supposed to be a season finale. Again, I'm underwhelmed. I feel like you know we kind of fizzled at the end of our first season, in my opinion. You know, rewatching it into some episodes that were just uh, lacked a dynamic sort of character engagement or sci-fi concept engagement or or a relationship that you could really invest in. I just, I, I felt, uh, I was not blown away by this episode, particularly with the finale, that's my feelings.
0: So Voyager basically phoned it in for the last two episodes a little bit. In Maybe, a way. Just, yeah. Okay.
1: Maybe, okay. I, I mean, I, I'm i grateful that the fans stuck around and, and UPN stuck with us and Paramount stuck with us to to get us through some lackluster episodes. These felt mm-hmm. kind of lackluster to me.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, the opening scene, we see another uh, Janeway holodeck in the old English um, uh, set, whatever. Well, I she's hate the go- She's the governess. <laughs> I, <laughs> I hate it. I didn't think we, re- I didn't think we were going to revisit it again, but Cathexas was where that was introduced, and yeah. a couple of episodes later, we see it again, right? So
1: I hate it. I mean, it's just <laughs> oh, a 19th century melodrama that, that, you know, the first female captain in a Star Trek series and yeah. if she's gonna do that, I think I made a note to myself like, why not have her be Super Nanny? Do you remember that show Super Nanny where she'd come in yeah. with the kids that were out of control and she'd be like, mm-hmm. you little brat, you sit down and be quiet. Like if, if Janeway had come in and was like a different sort of, like if they're gonna put her in that holodeck, which I hate, and they're gonna put yeah. her in lacy dresses and all these like stereotypical feminine traps that are just blah. But if they're going to do that, then have her, like, why is this her hobby in her free time? Why is that the thing she, you know, I I kept thinking, all right, if she's a gamer and I'm not a video game person, but if she's a gamer, like, would that be the video game that Catherine Janeway, Captain Catherine Janeway would pick to play? And if that is, then what is it about it that, like, I I just don't understand it. And those little Mm. kids were just annoying as all get out those little mm-hmm. kid actors with the bad British accents and and, and the little boy like snapping at, at, at Kate and, you know, Catherine Janeway. And I don't know, I just found that whole thing like, why? What? They were introducing this conflict, I guess. This, um, you know, kind of the, the kids being, you know, um, challenging her authority. And that was sort of echoing the Maquis. I don't, maybe, I don't know. It seems strange. I just, I hate that. I hate that holodeck and I hate that's her, that's her hobby.
0: Well, I'm going to do flip side of the coin here. I'm going to argue for her on this and just say that, you know, it doesn't, it, that holodeck program choice is not, you're right, it's not in line with who Captain Janeway is, yeah. obviously. But as human beings, we all have really weird Tastes, you know what I'm saying, and we yeah. we have very each person has their own peculiar um, sensibility when it comes to what they do in their free time, and you know some people might collect stamps, other people like bird watching, other people will play video games, some people might like extreme sports, right? And in this particular case, Janeway, uh, her secret passion is is 18th or 19th century England. Uh, this is this is what she maybe studied uh, when she was younger in Starfleet Academy as her elective course or something like that. I don't know, yeah. you know, but I, I feel like this is just a fetish, you know, and, and as, as really kind of bland as this fetish may be, this is her fetish. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna go with that.
1: Yeah, but if this was her fetish, as writers and producers of, of a Star mm-hmm. Trek series and in, in this franchise, yeah. the first female captain, if she was into the 19th century England, then why not put her at Parliament trying to be the first, you know, female woman in parliament in the 19th century and, and whatever that might, I don't know. There just, there could have been something that elevated that period, if they want to use that period, and made her a game changer. Because as a character, yeah. she was a game changer for Star Trek. Why not bring that or or go the total opposite? And she's just the doting, I don't know, something that was more in line with her character or a counterpoint, the opposite of who, you know, that she loved to escape responsibility by being the lady of the house or something mm-hmm. and taken care of by servants. I don't know. It could yeah. have been either one of those things, but this is sort of an odd, like, I don't know. It's like,
0: are, you, are you feeling that like there's not 100% commitment uh, one way or the other in this? It's kind of, it's Yeah, I of just like, don't you know, know what in the it,
1: middle. yeah, I don't okay. know what it adds to yeah. her character, insight to her character or, yeah or strength or complexity, I, I don't yeah. know. And, and it's never really explained and,
0: you know. True, to speak to your comment about why didn't she, you know, choose a holodeck program where she's a, a member of parliament in dealing with this. And I kind of feel like Janeway every day on the ship or every episode at least, is making a life and death uh, choice, right? Yeah. She's always having to do, do this stuff about, you know, if I make this choice, this is gonna happen. If I make this yeah. choice, this, these aliens might die, whatever. That she almost needs something that is a, um, an escape. And really, yeah. that is that is her escape—is—is is to really not think so much about <laughs> making these huge decisions and then and doing something that's sort of like a uh, that to us seems quite boring. It's right. really a way for her to temper her daily life. So maybe yeah. that's it. It's just maybe the that's it. Yeah. yeah, but I do see that they could have been—they could have put more. The writers definitely could have put more into this, you know, yeah. one way or the other. So I agree with that. Um, one thing I thought was interesting is that the Bajoran Maquis, uh, the character of crewman Garen. That is the character name that was given to my character, the character that I played on the independent film, Star Trek uh, of Gods and Men, yes. was, Command- was Commander Garen. It's the same name. Wow, that's and interesting. Then, yeah, and then when they did that, that bridge simulation in the holodeck, they placed garen in my operations console so it was oh, like ah yeah. yeah. interesting so I, yeah yeah so there was some parallels there which yeah. which obviously star trek of gods of men came after this season. Sure. This, it, it, it was filmed after the end of Voyager, so um, I'm guessing maybe this episode influenced the writers of, of or it's just pure co- coincidence. <laughs> they mm-hmm, sat there and mm-hmm. thought, mm, sci-fi alien named Garen is close to Garrett, and yeah, with that. Yeah. and maybe they didn't even know that this guy existed on the yeah. show, so, yeah.
1: Um, I did find it interesting when Tuvok, still in the teaser before the opening credits, when mm. Tuvok sees uh, that Maki crewman I forget his name. Dolby. Thank you, Dolby. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right, because I got to comment about that later. But uh, <laughs> Dolby pops out of the, the Jeffrey's tube, and yeah. and he seems very, very, you know, friendly in the beginning, and then it escalated
0: so quickly. I was like, <laughs> yeah. whoa,
1: boy, that escalated real quick.
0: It was so casual and nonchalant. It was like, ah, hey, just fixing this thing, and then it, yeah. it, it turned into By the this end. He's like, like I, I can't stand, can't stand, this, stand this place. <laughs> Yeah, it was crazy. And at
1: least they addressed it. Like, I hate when those things happen and no one addresses it because yeah. later in Janeway's office, Tuvok literally says something like, yes, he went, he went berserk or something. <laughs> yes. <know>? Yeah. He <laughs> completely lost it. Um, he really did. He did. When they're in Janeway's office, by the way, and talking about that, Janeway says something like, Oh yes, I've heard about Dalby. I've, heard a lot of things you know people have been talking to me about him and i was like what who's been talking i've never heard of Dol- dorby doleby who is he like no one's ever mentioned this guy's name and all we've never seen
0: any of these guys until None this episode them. no
1: by the way i wish we would have kept shell around the blue guy he was funny. yeah you like him yeah he was funny he- the overtalker he was funny yeah
0: he could, he definitely could have been com- uh, comic relief in, in, in future scenes on Voyager. Yeah, yeah, I liked him a lot. He was good.
1: And also, by the way, I had a thought early on, and Tom Paris doesn't come in this episode until I, I wrote it down. Where is it? Tom Paris shows up at 37 minutes and six seconds into a 42 minute episode. <laughs> 37 minutes into the episode before we saw Paris. And I wrote down early on, before I knew that he wouldn't be, you know, that we, Paris wasn't going to show up forever. I wrote down, Oh, training the Mark, the Maquis, um, into being Starfleet, Tom Paris would be a perfect person to put into this group.
0: Yeah.
1: Either as a student or as a co-teacher or something to say like, Hey, I've been both. I've been like, right. I've been on both sides of this and like, and and that would have been a wonderful relationship to explore with Tuvok in Paris. Yes.
0: Um,
1: you know, trying to, Tuvok still could have learned his same lesson. Could have, it just would have been a much more interesting, not that I want, you know, it's long past. Clearly I, I right. had nothing to do in that episode, but it was just another example of, I think in this episode, the reason that I was disappointed was because in a series, your heroes are your series regular. Like, Harry Kim and Tom Paris and the doctor and, 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 and uh, Balana. like those are your heroes. That's your audience's way of following the series. And, and they're invested in these characters because we've already done 16 episodes before this. Why are we starting with this group of Maquis that no one knows? No one's invested in. I don't, mm. I don't know or care why the Bajoran kid is an introvert because there's no, <laughs> there's no time to, to get to know him and get invested. So no. if you bring in, you know, the series regulars into these stories and you allow the emotional journey to be on our series regulars and let the guest stars just bring the facts and the plot. And it was yeah. it was almost like upside down here because Tuvok yeah. didn't start to have an emotional journey until he had a scene with with um Neelix very late in the in the episode where Neelix is like, "Oh, you're in a mood." Everything uh up until that point had been focused on this like, why are the Maquis so mad? And why are the Maquis uncooperative? And I don't know, it just seemed upside down to me.
0: Well, your comment about um, how Tom Paris would have been a good choice in order to kind of help teach these guys, because he's kind of been on both sides of the path, right? Um, Well, you're right about that, and in fact, that scene between Tuvok and Neelix should have been between Tuvok and Paris, right? Cause Paris could have given Tuvok that, that um, advice about how to deal with those guys because mm-hmm. in that scene between Tuvok and, and Neelix, which I do love, I love seeing that combo together. I do, I, I would yeah. love that. That scene was there to have Neelix show Tuvok that he was too rigid. You know what I'm saying? And he did that analogy using those, um, he was using the flowers. And I thought, okay, that's cool that you use the analogy of the flower stems. One is flexible Mm -hmm. and one is rigid. And then, of course, Tuvok thinks that Neelix is basically telling him that the Maquis are too rigid. And he's like, no, you are too rigid. That would have been a great scene for Paris to have been involved in. It didn't really, you know, uh, to me, feel like it made sense to have Neelix be there, but you know, it is what it is. That's how. They- yeah.
1: It's, it's just um, I'm surprised at how sometimes when I look at the screen time, like you were talking about earlier, um, mm-hmm. someone kept track of the screen time of all the characters that when I see Tom Paris, not coming in until 37, 38 minutes into the episode. Yeah. Um, it just seems like the writers did not even comprehend no. that they should be um, servicing these characters for the audience, not for yeah. me, not because I want more scenes, right, but for the audience to care about these series regulars more deeply and feel more invested in them and you know and when you know that you've got these Maquis characters that we 've never seen before, and we're never going to see again, um, to give them all this backstory about you know the Bajoran. Was it the girlfriend, the woman he fell in love with? He talks right. in the in Sandrine's again. Uh, by the way, he, they're in Sandrine's, which is Tom Paris's holiday. Where's holo-jack.
0: Tom? Yeah. Where's
1: Tom? Yeah, it's I, not that, it, and it's really not that. I I look at this and go, oh, why didn't Tom have? Why didn't I have more scenes? I just feel like as an audience member, I'm looking at it, going, I want to know what Balan thinking in the scene. Mm-hmm. I want to know what Harry would think about this moment. I want to know yep. what I, you know, I want to see the doctor, do some comedy or, you yeah. know.
0: I mean, you've got, you've got the most series regulars of any, uh, of any Star Trek show. Basically, we have nine series regulars. Use them, <laughs> you know, yeah. use them. Yeah. Don't ignore them. Uh, I was
1: very surprised when uh, the Maquis all walked out of the, of the uh, cargo bay on, on Tuvok that first time, that, it, you know, I'd rather be in the brig than in here with you. And, I was very surprised at that moment. By the way, I think that's the first time we filmed any scenes in the cargo bay.
0: Oh, really? I think so. Okay. Yeah. I don't
1: think we had the cargo bay, I don't think, earlier than that. That's the first time. And that cargo bay also became our holodeck, you know, with the, with the hollow grids, they would sort of redress it and make it look like a the holodeck and... Uh, yeah. Huh. I don't remember ever using the uh, cargo bay before that.
0: Yeah. You know what's really interesting for me is while I was watching this episode especially toward the beginning every time that Dolby and Tuvok sort of clashed like I mm. and Tuvok being his superior I don't know if it's it's because I've been watching so many so many videos and YouTube videos lately with, about police brutality and just, yeah. just showing how many co- cops have been misbehaving but I kept I kept waiting for Tuvok to beat the crap out of him. like thinking that, you know, this was gonna, I was like, oh my God, Dolby, don't, don't mouth off. You're to authority because you're, you're about to get.
1: Well, Chakotay know, did hazed. that in the mess hall. Chakotay did that. He pulled yeah, up he chair yep. and he punched him and he, yep. which I think is a weird lesson for Star Trek. Like I was mm-hmm. surprised at, I was, and, and by the way, like, so Chakotay does this very provocative thing. He punches him and, Basically threatens him. You better get back in there, and then we don't really see Chakotay much the rest of the episode. Again, not servicing. Like I want to see Chakotay. I want to see Janeway call Chakotay in and say, "You're punching these guys. You're threatening them. That's not how we do things." And yeah, I get why. And have him defend why he did it, and maybe stand up for. Sometimes you gotta like. Sometimes this is the only language that people understand. And I don't know. I to me, that's a scene. I'd rather see that scene. Than more scenes with these characters that, you know, we
0: just uh, we're not super invested in. It's interesting because the punch is a little awkward, and I think it's a little awkward because I think the director, I think David Livingston, probably told Beltran that to make this scene look, you know, uh, frame better, I need you to punch him with your left hand <laughs> because where the way he's sitting, it's he's he's doing a left, it's like a left cross, is what it is, yeah. you know, and it's. Let's face it, I mean, he's a writer. He's a righty, but in this scene, Beltran yeah, a, is punching with his, his non-dominant hand. So it's, it's not as fluid as it could be, I feel. Yeah. So I, I picked that up. It's small. Well, it's interesting, in,
1: it's interesting in, in stunts for camera, whenever you see people punching, and some of you may know this out there in the audience, but I'm just gonna demonstrate. So you always have to have the fist come across in front of the face. Mm-hmm. So as long as it comes across, and, and, and the person I'm sort of demonstrating for you, those listening on audio, but it, if it comes across the same line between the lens and the face, it'll look like a hit. It'll look like there was contact. But then I'll turn sideways. If you see it from the side, it just looks like you don't have to be up close. It can just be like this. But I think what happened there with Chakotay's left hand is, where the lens was to go across the line of the face and not actually hit him, he had to use his left hand. Yeah. So it became a weird, yeah. Yeah. It became a weird yeah. punch. And A lot of times with fights, you know, you have to choreograph sort of to where the camera is and you're right. Mm-hmm. I think David Livingston did that. He, so yeah. He forced the action into where the camera was sitting.
0: Yeah. And that makes it tough on the actors too, because you're, you're literally asking human beings to do things that are contrary to what they've, Known their entire life. It's sort of like, huh? Yeah, yeah, you need to slap him along this axis. You know, it's like along this axis. Okay. Yeah. And you got to make it, if you punch or swing too quickly, the camera would not read, it would not read as a punch or a slap. You need yeah. to slow it down in order to make the camera catch it. And it's yeah. like, oh, wow. And these are all things that, again, you're not taught this when you're doing, you know, uh, stage plays in college or or high school, you're not taught about how to act to the camera. And and you really have to keep that in mind to make it look realistic. And it's a pain in the ass, I think.
1: It's funny where the camera was, just to beat a dead horse on this punch, you're right, the left hand, I did notice it seemed stagey. It -hmm. didn't seem authentic. And he could have easily said, all right, but if the camera's here, instead of punching with your left hand, you could take your right hand and back smack, back
0: fist him, back yeah.
1: fist him mm-hmm. and that would have accomplished the same thing for the punch. It would have been like a, 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 the back of the fist yeah. um, coming across the plane of the lens in the face. It would have looked like it made contact, right. but it would have had more oomph, you know, it would have had mm-hmm. more
0: authenticity to it. I'm just glad they didn't use the this the standard cheesy two-handed <laughs> Star Trek two-fisted thing which you see all the time. I don't oh, know. Oh yeah. I don't know who came up with that, but that thing always, it's always bothered me. Like it's yeah. starting from the days of Captain Kirk he used that double-fisted and we and we do too. Like yeah. you've you've seen it multiple times. It's almost like um you know our stunt coordinator Danger was was sort of told by Berman you've got to keep the two-fisted thing going. Yes. You know, like okay, two-fisted it is funniest line ever in this episode get the cheese to sick bay from yeah, that was good
1: i I have a good funny line I thought when Tuvok says your headband is certainly festive I when he was in the cargo bay and talking about the uniform I thought your headband is certainly festive yeah his, yeah his deadpan reading was very funny there is a lot of comedy in this episode there is which is surprising and I made that note very early on I was like wow I'm laughing at shell i'm you know there's some there's some funny lines and funny moments but i found the tone overall very confusing in the beginning because i again i couldn't tell what was at stake and and you really want to keep the stakes high with your series regulars and the stakes were high it seemed until well into the episode Mm -hmm. the high stakes were with our maquis characters that we didn't know right you know tuvok didn't seem to have high stakes Janeway was playing with her frilly dresses on the holodeck, no high stakes there. Um, it all seemed very low stakes until, and even when the, the, the gel pack went into sick bay, which by the way, I was so excited. I was like, Oh my God, I forgot about this. This is a great, that's a great sci-fi idea. Like mm-hmm. the, the, to figure out this problem. And I love the cheese solution. Yeah, it was, I wish we had spent a lot more time on the, on the sci-fi story of the bioneural gel packs, getting the infection and how that happened, that would have been more interesting to me.
0: And as far as I know, I don't think we ever see these Maquis ever again in the, no, in the, the remaining episodes of this, of, the, of this series. We never ever no. uh, even get a sniff of these characters, right? So and by it's... the way, there were
1: four of them and they were talking about how the Maquis were so problematic as a group. They should have had twenty or thirty Maquis in that room. Like
0: that would have, yeah.
1: You know, there should have been a lot more of
0: them. Yeah, um, that would have made to sense. Real, that
1: would have made the stakes seem much higher. When you put four, you know, four people in a room, it's like, really, this is what you were worried about. Like these mm-hmm. four, just lock them up. Like that's yeah. not a problem, right, on the ship.
0: Yeah, the scene where they're doing the bridge simulation on the holodeck, um, when they were taking fire from the Romulan ships. They were very awkward while shaking. Did you know?: I did notice shaking? the shakes felt.: <laughs> They yeah. were just yeah And I sat there and I thought, they didn't get that video from that's, Kim Friedman. They did not right. get the Kim Friedman tutorial on how to shake correctly.
1: I, I also noticed when they did the Hall uh, bridge simulation, even though I know it was supposed to be our bridge, identical bridge, I get that, I wish that they had done something a little different, like the lighting different or. Just something Mm. so that it felt like, oh, we're in sort of a a play version of. Mm -hmm. uh, It was just weird seeing those characters on the bridge exactly the way that it normally looks. I mean, I know that's probably authentic, but it would have, to me, I would have taken that opportunity to say, all right, this is the holodeck version. It's a little different. The lights, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I agree. And they didn't. (laughs) No. I thought when
1: when Tuvok was taking them on the climbing through the Jefferies tubes, we only had one jeffrey's tube junction set we had literally had one tiny closet that had one ladder going up and down and i think one tube going off that way and one so two tubes and one ladder and they recycled that same little closet for that whole sequence and yeah they would just pop up as if they were climbing from something below there wasn't i don't think there was anything below no i don't think so i think or they'd see you'd see them coming out of one place and going up another,
0: and it was all the same set, just sort of recycled over and over. Did you ever film in the Jeffreys tube yourself? Yeah. Do you recall? Okay, that's probably my least favorite. Was any scene in a Jeffreys tube was my least favorite scene because those you're, you're on your knees, you're on your yeah. knee, you're trapped, but it's not only just claustrophobic, but your knees are such pain because you're 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 kind of crawling on your hands and knees, and and they the the floor of that Jeffrey's tube with these little, really hard bumps that, you know, there were these indentations oh, yeah. and they just, they were murder on your knees, literally. Yeah. It was just like, I just remember thinking, who designed this? Why didn't they make this out of some soft, cushiony, foamy material? You yes. know, that, <laughs> that, that would have been, they, they could have been painted to look rigid, but then it's just like nobody could actually crawl along any length longer than five feet without Passing out in pain because yeah. it was so it was not good. I just yeah. recall that was not my I favorite.
1: noticed that Tuvok did not sweat when they were all finished their workout. And do Vulcans not sweat? Or was it just that he was in such great shape? That was the point of that. Because I feel like Tuvok in other episodes was moist and you know, sweaty looking or perspiring or in some way. But they were all dripping with sweat after you know the extra gravity and all the things and he was just completely you know clean and dry and didn't
0: break a sweat do you know gonna, if they did, did I, vulcan sweat i think they do sweat but i'm i'm going to say this their home planet has two suns so if you grow up on a planet with two suns you're more used to heat is okay what i'm going to go with okay, okay. so the sweat clans are there, but they've adapted over time. So yeah. they're more, they're more like Las Vegas or, or, or Phoenix, Arizona residents. You know, they, okay. they, they can get, they can take the heat.
1: All right.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. That's gonna be my argument on that one.
1: Um, yes. I also feel like Tuvok, and I, I, I made this note and I realized mm-hmm. the story later on, but I made a note like Tuvok is really being a jerk. Like, isn't the goal to get them to join the Starfleet as team members, if that's the goal, then being a jerk to them, you know, in his training was the wrong strategy. I just found that that seemed, I I, I just didn't buy it that Tuvok would not understand. He even says later on, you know, I've, I've used these, I've trained thousands of Starfleet cadets and my techniques are flawless. And mm-hmm. I was like, I think they're flawed. Like, I just don't buy that the story you're trying to tell. <laughs> I,
0: I yeah, I don't see him as being a, so much of a jerk as opposed to just stating the facts, you know. And like, he was just always just by the book, right? And it because like to me, to be a jerk, you kind of have to be a little malicious, a little, a little like um, tweaking at somebody, you know. I and felt I didn't like really really I felt like he you, was. Doing you that. felt that? Yep. Okay, provocative. Okay, I, I'll say the only time that I felt a provocative feeling was from my character <laughs> when when mm. that scene in the uh, uh, when we're in the transporter bay, and I'm there with oh Bologna. yeah, and yeah. Chell is cleaning. The transporter pad with a micro resonator, is, as opposed to using a what were they saying? It was like a magneton scanner, would have cleaned yeah. it, you know, in a second. And then this micro resonator, he's like basically cleaning the floor with a, with Tooth- a brush, toothbrush. right? Yeah, yeah like with an with a advanced toothbrush. And then as I'm walking out, I'm like, you know, I look at him and I'm like, hey, you missed a spot. I thought that was the jerkiest moment in this entire <laughs> episode. It was for my character. Because I didn't even laugh about it. I didn't, I was just sort of, I felt like I was hazing Chell. I felt like I was yeah. the upperclassman giving I, Chell credit. Yeah,
1: but I I didn't feel bad about, I didn't think he was a jerk there because you didn't realize the context. You just saw the one thing and we're kind of teasing him. Like if you mm-hmm. knew that they were really upset and that, they were having a a much bigger conflict with Tuvok as a group. I think you would have been more sensitive. I felt like in that moment, you were just like, you didn't know much of of the story. So you were just like, have fun with that. Good luck, you know.
0: I'll stop me tooing myself on this then. (laughs) (laughs) I'll walk away from that.
1: By the way, Neelix comes in and picks up on Tuvok's mood in the mess hall. Do Vulcans have moods? Like I found that a little, again, I want to call bull on that because I'm like, really? Can you pick up on moods of a Vulcan?
0: And, and Well, he, the way he said it was sort of like, I noticed you don't have your tea, you're faced, you're faced the wrong way. You always usually face into the mess hall. Now you're facing yeah. out towards the star field, right? So yeah. I think he was just guessing. Noticing his know.
1: behavior. Just noticing his behavior I, changed. Yeah. I think Tuvok was the one that used the word mood. He said, you, he say you, that can see, okay. you can see my mood floating around me right, or something right, like that. Right.
0: I do think they have moods, but I think they've been able to regulate them. I see. Right? Just like their feelings are regulated. They, they they feel things and everything, but they don't let it out. Right? So. That makes sense. They're very stoic. They're like Asians, you know, very stoic. Yeah. <laughs> so. I thought it was very interesting when we're talking about
1: Tuvok and Neelix gave him the lesson on the the flowers. And then he starts taking that cheese goo and tossing it in some noodles or something. and, And then comes over and, Tuvok is the one to go, oh, cheese has bacteria, and he looks up at the vent. Yeah. And, yeah, I thought that was an
0: interesting kind of turn of the plot. When he first took that ball of cheese and started throwing it into that, that noodle thing, whatever, I didn't even know it was cheese. It looked like coleslaw to me. I was like, oh, it's coleslaw. I thought it was cabbage. You know? I thought it was I butter. Know. It looked like <laughs> butter to me. <laughs> I know, throw I, a big old, He's gonna throw like six handfuls of butter in that pasta dish then? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah, it probably tastes better with all that butter too, though. But yeah, it it didn't look I, like cheese.
1: I felt bad for Neelix. Poor Neelix. And Did by you? the way, you know when when the other crew members were there scanning the next yeah. meal that Neelix was making, like they were they didn't yeah. trust Neelix and they had their yeah. scanner, and it sort of tilts up off the the scanner in the foreground, the tricorder, and you hear one of the crewmen the the lady say, "What is that?" or something. Yeah. I noticed in this episode more than once, that was a place where they had an extra doing something. And yeah, they, they used lo- the, they a, looping, yep, a loop they, group. They, they used the loop group to add a line as if that character that we see their back, as yeah. if they're saying something. And they did that a couple times in this episode.
0: Robbie, can you explain to everybody what a loop group is? Very a loop different. group, yes. Yeah, so a loop group, when,
1: when uh, we go in to mix the audio for to finish a, uh, an episode. So on Star Trek, like the mess hall, when you hear other people uh, talking or mumbling in the background, you know, softly, uh, because there's 30 people in the mess hall, when we're actually filming it, we don't have the extras make any noise. It's completely silent. They're miming their mouth and no one says anything because we want to get clean audio of the actor's dialogue. Mm -hmm. So you don't have the rest of the room kind of mumbling around. So we bring in a th- thing called a loop group, which is usually a regular group of people, you know, eight or 10 people uh, that you'll bring in and they'll do those scenes in the recording studio. They'll look at it up on the screen and they'll, they know how to do it. They're used to doing it and they mumble and, and say things so that, so that we have the, the group. And sometimes there'll be a moment like that where you'll pull somebody from the loop group and say, hey, can you just do a couple lines? This extra is scanning Neelix's food. Can you say, what is that? And they'll have a couple people do it, and they'll they'll use those people instead of the person on camera, who never said anything. So that's the loop group.
0: The young lady they used to, yes. um, she's wearing the uh, the teal uniform, right? Uh-huh. Do you? Uh, I'm blanking. I cannot remember her name, but she was one of our regular background actors in the beginning, but she got let go because, believe it or not, her what it was was um, her boyfriend was like in set construction or something like that and he um, injured himself that he was at the emergency room in the hospital so she actually left to go to the hospital and she rushed off set with her uniform oh she didn't go to wardrobe and they flipped out so she was concerned because she thought her boyfriend was dying you know so she's like oh my god I gotta go I gotta go I don't have time to take this off um, and so she left, and uh, she was let go of after that. Wow! And, and I and I thought that That's... was really not fair. You know, no. Um, I know not. this because I became friends. You know, with a lot of the different uh, regular extras that we had, I I I knew them on a first name basis, and and some of them I even you know had their numbers and spoke to them on a regular basis. Believe it or not, and she was one of them that I knew. And I was like, "Where? I haven't seen you in like weeks." I go, "What happened?" She's like, "I got fired." I go, "What?" Wow. And then she told me the story, and I said, "This is ridiculous. You literally, you didn't do it on purpose. You know, you did it. You were in a, sta- a it was state, a state of emergency. Of, it was an emergency. And when you're in an emergency, and if your significant other is in the hospital because he." He has a six-inch gash in his arm or his leg, and he's bleeding right. out. I think it should be, you know, there should be a little bit of um, leeway yeah, allowed, sure. and and just say, hey, you know, Jerry Fleck or or, or, uh, or Adele should have said, like, look, you know, we get it. You you really mm-hmm. should have given not left the set you know, with that mm-hmm. uniform. But it's not like it's a top secret uniform that now she revealed to the general public and they're wow. like, oh, what is that? That's a new, yeah. you know, Starfleet. No, it's not something that's, that's not known. People have been seeing that uniform for, for a while now. Also so. those uniforms,
1: it took time to get in and out of them. So I can imagine in an urgent situation, you just want yeah. to go because yeah. there's layers and getting it unbuttoned and zipped and then the yeah. underlayer and, you know, there's multiple three, four layers of things you put on. Right. So they so they look very flat, and yes. yeah, I can it makes total sense oh, that's yes. too bad
0: it is bad and it, and if for some chance you are listening who uh, who we are talking about now, I'm so sorry that I forgot your name, <laughs> It's been so long now, I'm going, oh my gosh, like there's a few people. Like Carrie. Remember Carrie, yeah. tall Carrie? Like I you remember there. Carrie names. was in just one sort of,
1: shot today after Chakotay's punch. Carrie was in the background there.
0: Yeah. Carrie's actually sitting at the table with the the gal that I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, when when Neelix is talking about the flowers, you know, that the whole analogy where two guys yeah. in a mood. Carrie's back there sitting across from the lady who was released. Uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, so some most of those names I, I do still remember, but there's a couple like hers I completely forgot, but mm. Uh, I just, I feel bad for that that even happened to her. So, you know, if it was my call, I would have kept her on. As, no
1: as, kidding, mine yeah. too. Well, I felt bad for Neelix. I felt bad, I thought the best line in the episode was get that cheese to sickbay. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Um, Tom's holiday program, Sandrine's, but no Tom, again. Yeah um i I made a note the emotional weight is just out of whack it's all on our guest stars Mm -hmm. i said it's sad when the cheese story is more interesting than the maquis story (laughs) Uh, i noticed that tuvok asked he asked please uh when he said to garon can you try to open that door he said can you please go and i thought that was a nice subtle change it was after his conversation with Neelix and uh, I thought that was a nice change and I made a note all that liquid nitrogen uh, so all the smoke that was in as things were exploding in the um, cargo bay in the cargo bay there was a ton of smoke right and it was supposed to be super hot and everyone's supposed to be sweating and I do remember scenes like that when I was in the in episodes that I had something to do in unlike this one Um, but I noticed that when you're supposed to be hot and sweaty but they're using that smoke what they use is liquid nitrogen so it's a big can of of liquid nitrogen which is freezing cold and <laughs> it's when not they bring, hot at all it's not hot at all <laughs> and when they turn it on like that and they fill up a set it's freezing in there like i think liquid nitrogen is like minus 150 degrees and you feel the smoke on you like it can burn it's like dry ice or you know it's all the same thing it's at that super cold temperature that it will it will hurt you if you get too much of it on your body, but you feel freezing. So I was just thinking about everybody, they're supposed to be sweaty and the ship is so hot and and I'm and they're blowing that smoke. And I'm like, they must have been freezing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So meanwhile, while the, the liquid nitrogen is is freezing up that cargo bay, the rest of us on the bridge are now the makeup artists have put all this liquid on us and made our hair come down to make us look like we're sweating like crazy. And I remember filming that scene and I remember thinking, God, this is really difficult. Because as an actor, it's tough to play heat (laughs) when there's really not that type of excruciating, um, life-threatening heat. It's difficult to play it. It really is like to play really hot is, is like it's not an emotion. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's not a. Um, it's not an objective. You know, if you're talking in actor terms, right? You know, what is your objective? What is the the mood? What is the pacing of this? What is the of uh, yeah, scene? Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's slower because we're all you know kind of like uh, lethargic from the heat. But it's very difficult, I think, to play heat. I don't know what, what you did whenever you played a hot environment, or, or if you recall what you did.
1: I don't know. I mean, yeah, playing kind of reacting to temperatures that aren't real uh, is, is like reacting to something, a visual effects monster you can't see. You know, it can yeah. be, it's, you just have to use your imagination. Yeah, I did feel like that scene on the bridge where everybody's sweating and lethargic and low energy and going slower, like you said, even though that all makes sense for heat, it was a bummer of a way to get to our big climactic scenes of yeah. the episode because you're at the climactic, dramatic moment where everyone can die, and they're all just like... (laughs) It's like, this is supposed to be our exciting climax. Everybody's just... I'm so... I I struggle with these last couple episodes we've seen. Jitrell and this one, I just, from a writer's and dramaturgical sort of way, I'm like they're kind of a mess. Like there's yeah. moments that are good, but like they're just poorly thought out, in my opinion.
0: Well, I, hu- I highly urge you to stick with this and not quit after this episode.
1: I am not gonna quit, <laughs> I am not. I know season two is coming up and I know there's good stuff ahead.
0: All our but, merch uh, already says the Delta Flyers. I don't wanna go to the Delta, the Delta Flyers, first. the singular, because uh, that was No, <laughs> I'm,
1: I guess I'm disappointed, because I, I, you know, in my memory, which I have a horrible memory, as we all know. But in my memory, I'm like, "Oh, we made, you know, a lot of really good episodes." And to see a couple in a row that I'm just like, oh,
0: "Yeah, well, I it's don't... like, wah, wah wah." Yeah, yeah, I get you. It's anticlimactic. Yeah. Do you have any more notes on that, or are we good to, don't. to wrap this puppy up? I yeah? think I'm good with the recap. I okay. Uh, do you want to
1: talk about the theme or the big idea? Oh
0: yes, yes. Let's talk about the underlying message. So. Um, as everyone knows, we try to talk about the lesson learned or the hidden message, or the underlying theme of each episode. Um, so we'll start with Robbie and yeah. his, his take on that.
1: Yeah, I think for me, it was um, in spite of our differences with people who are nothing like us, that we can all learn something from each other, that Tuvok learned something about himself from, from having to deal with the Maquis. And, and teach them. And the Maquis learned something from Tuvok. They both kind of learned a lesson and they both kind of saw the things they had in common.
0: I really feel like the message here is sometimes you have to to adapt by being flexible. And a lot of times people feel that if there are certain rules or regulations set in place, Flexibility is then weakness or flexibility is no longer following protocol. But sometimes flexibility is what you need in order to, you know, uh, get past a certain situation. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't be so rigid all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's Mm -hmm. it's, rules shouldn't always be black and white. There should always be a realization by both parties that there is a gray area. And to accept that if you are flexible and bend that you are still you still are strong. It's like a bamboo. You know, from like, mm-hmm. like an old kung fu master saying, "You must be like a bamboo, flexible but still strong." You know, I feel that this is <laughs> this is the message. You know, yeah, and and, and um, totally That's sense. something that's something that a lot of people don't get. You know, there's a lot of people are out there that are like, "Okay, um, this is protocol. We follow to a T. And if we err, we go off to the right or left. Then, then, then this this is not the way we do it." You know. Yeah. I mean, you, you could talk about what happened in Minneapolis, you know, yeah. I, and, and I know that the knee to the back of the, the the perpetrator's neck is something that they actually teach to restrain somebody from you know, trying to, to kill you as a police officer. I get that. But you got to be flexible in the situation. If somebody says, I cannot breathe, they are telling you that for a reason. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So yeah. the flexibility there, there was no flexibility. You know, yeah. that officer, that officer Chauvin was completely rigid and and Vulcan about it the all the way he didn't do he didn't take a second to realize that mm. he needed to be a human being and 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 put in a little bit of flexibility there and yeah. if we had that we would be we would not be in the situation we are now mm-hmm. <laughs> which is rioting and everything going crazy uh, the world is, looks like it's ending right now um, mm. and so this is a great episode in that the message is important yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a throwaway in that. Yes, these 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 ancillary characters that we never see again in seven years are the focus, which is sort of like, huh? It's a head scratcher, but the message is what's most important. Yes, yeah, You've got to learn to be flexible. Yeah, you know, yeah. Okay, okay. so thank right. you so much, everybody, for listening in. Thanks for joining us on this week's podcast adventure. Join us next week when we review the Thirty Sevens.
1: Yeah, <laughs> season two. Season two! All right.